0: Welcome to Altered Potters, where we hang out with fellow artists and talk while getting a little altered. I am one of the hosts, Ryan Myers, a full-time studio artist and instructor.
1: And I'm the other host, Rochelle Miller, a ceramic artist and instructor, and this is Altered Potters. Welcome to Altered Potters, where we hang out with fellow potters and... Talk and get a little altered. I'm Rochelle Miller and I am a potter and a ceramics instructor.
0: <laughs> I'm Ryan Myers. I'm a full time potter.
1: And occasionally instructing yeah, when occasionally you're lucky enough. And then we have a guest today. Woohoo! First guest. We have Mark Skidlark who is a wood fire potter based in Cambridge, Wisconsin and makes beautiful, amazing, some very big, some small, yeah, small. pieces. I both ways. And um, <laughs> he goes, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you can find his work at cambridgepottery.com, that's his email, and his Instagram is cambridgepottery, that's his handle. Let's get started with uh, what we're doing to altering our experience in this podcast today. Mark brought some...
2: It's limousine rye from Cambridge.
1: Some whiskey
2: yeah, from, from Cambridge. from the dancing goat
1: he not only brought the whiskey he also brought us cups to drink them in so i think i'm going to have him introduce the cups and by the way i don't like whiskey it tastes like band-aids to me normally but this is quite nice and um, i did a little splash of water in it and i think i'm going to enjoy drinking it
2: yeah no it's it's very well done you know getting back to uh dancing goat uh, they're the largest distillery in wisconsin they just recently built a rick house and I think, I'm really quite sure, I think it's around 80,000 barrels they have stored in the Rick House. Uh- First workhouse built out of Kentucky. Wonderful facility, great people running it. Uh, are they
1: from yeah, Kentucky so originally? Or are they No, locals?
2: no, it's so, a, you know, I don't know specifically, and I'll be talking out of church here, going into the details of it. But there were two entities, one of which is Rumchata. I'm not sure if you're familiar yep. with Rumchata. And then the other was apple pie, chocolate pot, you know, these like really kind Ugh. of sweet liqueur kind that of the sounds things. That delicious. Yeah, well, <laughs> some people. Things
0: you
1: would bring to a pack yeah. Game. Would, would you? Or
0: you would sneak it in your. That seems shirt. wrong. <laughs> your pants. It
1: seems like a weird choice. I would bring an actual piece of apple pie to yeah, a
2: packer so. game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so they. So uh, they went in this in direction. They, yes. And, and so it's nice. Yeah, it's very nice. They they do a great job. Check out dancing. And, and it doesn't
1: taste like apple pie.
2: No. No, it's a really nice rye. It doesn't taste like band aids
1: And doesn't taste no joke. Like it's some tastes like band
2: But it is an antiseptic as well, so if need be, if you do you know, like you know, if you're desperate, sort of like you know, yeah. have an injury, yeah. You know.
1: Pour and a little of this on it. Go. There you go. Do you do you yeah, pour it on the injury or do you just drink it? Well, you
2: can probably drink it <laughs> and uh and then from there I'm really quite sure uh maybe just <laughs> drinking it. I don't, It's too it's too good to waste on a pour. Right. Yeah, it makes it hurt know, less. Yeah. So there we go, Dancing Goat, but what I brought to drink out of. Yes, okay. yay, that's
1: what I was trying to that's make sure we going. didn't forget. See,
2: this is the problem with this particular podcast, and so any, who knows We what's might wander. Happen. Yeah, we may, <laughs> we may. So, you know, bear with us, people listening out there. We're just taking a walk right now, and it's not about the destination. No, it's the journey. <laughs> it's the journey. It's the journey. I was just reflecting this last year or two of the number of potters that are kind of icons that have passed away. Mm-hmm. And so I brought three different cups. This one that I'm drinking out of is Chuck Hines, who mm-hmm. the first time I met Chuck Hines was 1990. He organized a wood fire conference in Iowa City. It was mind-blowing. It was great. And it was at the time where wood firing seemed to be really taking off at that point. And Chuck was just an absolute character. He didn't actually turn pots on the wheel. This little you-know-me or whiskey cup or whatever you want to call it, uh, is made with, he had a a uh, pool cue that he cut and was just the handle. And so he just sort of like thrust the handle into a lump of clay and then from there oh. made the pot and then carved the foot out of it. And it has a chino glaze, wood fired. I'm not really quite sure exactly where it was fired, probably in Iowa, There you know, there's a plethora of, you know, kilns that they built during that particular period of time. A little yeah. toast to, to Chuck.
1: That's an interesting approach. Yeah, Chuck.
2: Mm-hmm. And then the other one that I brought, Warren McKenzie. You're drinking out of, I'm one of Warren's yep. cup. And I remember getting that about 20 years ago with my son Mason, who was probably about five at the time. And it was really sweet about Warren. You'd go in there and he was so generous with his time, but he also was generous with kids. And so he had a rack of just all these little Unomis and a kid could pick one for free to sort of like, you know, plant that little seed. Mm-hmm. And so we still have that one. I left that one at home. Losing him as well. And then the third one that I had was Bill Farrell, who was the professor down at the Institute of Art in Chicago. He made these great Unomis when we had the Pottery Festival in Cambridge. He'd always show up with Dolores uh, Fortuna, who was mm-hmm. his partner, and he would have a rack of these Unomis that you know he made. From time to time he would give me one, and that one I loved so much so that uh, it broke not once but twice. <laughs> still like patched it together and now there's a big chip that's taken out of it Yeah, i can put my thumb on that thing get a good grab on Mm. it
0: it works it still Mm, works it's amazing like i'm starting to try to embrace the chip pieces Mm because usually for some reason if a pot was chipped it died yeah Yeah. to Mm -hmm. me like i was over it yeah and now i've been sanding them down and just smoothing the edges and embracing like you know it's part of the history
1: yeah the story. Broken
0: and still functional.
2: And I think it sort of represents the whole aspect of, like, the cycle of life, yep. you know? Like, uh, we all have scars, well, they're internal or external, but, you know, we all have a few chips on us. And so, anyway, that's what I really like about, you know, just, you know, preserving, you know, that aspect of it.
1: Yeah.
0: That's yeah. lovely.
1: Ryan is stepping out of the three that Mark brought so he could drink out of his own.
0: <laughs> well, I didn't know that <laughs> so Mark you was got. three, so I brought three. The one I'm drinking out of right now is a Jeff A-Strike cup. I got it from ACAR in Iowa City. I've only been to Jeff's place one time. That was during the St. Croix tour, and it was impossible to purchase any of his work because there were so many people.
1: Oh, that's a good problem for but, them. But bad problem for you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully this spring, after doing uh, the Clay Collective tour in the Cambridge area, I'm going to have a bunch of bank and I can go up to St. Croix
1: oh, and spend some money on some pottery. Shop like crazy. Is it wood fired?
0: Yeah, looks like it's wood fired. It's got wad marks on the bottom. It's got areas where he must have used wax to resist the glaze. So mm-hmm. it's not fully glazed. Classic A-strike piece if you know Jeff's work.
2: It's all the detail that he puts into it, and it's so methodical, you know, and thought out. They're very thoughtful pods.
1: I also was earlier drinking from Kate Fisher. I don't know if you guys have heard of her, but she's part of the Minnesota clay scene. It's wood-fired. She does little circles of color with horizontal stripes in a lot of her pieces. I was attracted to it, so I ended up buying it online. Mm -hmm. So over quarantine and everything, I've been shopping via Instagram, trying to support. I've had a pretty good couple of years, so I've been trying to expand my collection and share my good fortune. And I've been enjoying taking in pieces from other artists.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Now that we're nicely lubricated, hopefully, Let's really get into it now. Mm-hmm. This is a serious business. All right, you're on the spot now, Mark.
2: I, uh, you know, grew up in central Minnesota on a dairy farm. Uh, it was uh, a hard and arduous, you know, lifestyle. You know, but as a family, we worked together. I don't know. It just really kind of ingrained me in me anyway a certain work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a local university, St. John's. My brother, my eldest brother, uh, was a monk there. He taught homiletics, so we always had this connection with St. John's, and so ended up going to St. John's for college. Mm-hmm. And as uh, initially, I wanted to be a painter, and had a bad experience with a uh, instructor my you know freshman year, and so you know decided to go ahead and you know pursue or at least check out the the clay studio, which was always. Active. You had to have this requisite for, like, you know, taking a, an art course. And so, you know, a lot of people were taking pottery courses and, you know, ceramics. So it was always busy. The community. Yeah, well, it's a community. community, yeah. but The it was, really so, cool
1: people were there the, and the, the, the cool, uh, Well,
2: it was also on the sister campus, because St. John's was an all-boys school in St. Ben's where the art studio was oh at. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was at St. Ben's, and so that was all girls, and so anyway. You can go anywhere you want with that. But yeah. anyway, so... Uh, and wait, the, wait, 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 <laughs> okay. So. There were, there were a lot of like, you know, there were a lot of girls that were in the ceramics yeah. class as well. Yeah, so did anyway, you, 18. Did you take
1: yoga too? Because that would have been a smart oh, one Oh, yeah, do I did actually take yoga a, a couple FI of times A like a dance class? Because then, th- th- <laughs> were those the classes that they would yeah, mix? Yeah,
2: there was like, you know, but it was like art. You know, you had to have an art class. You know, uh-huh. by the time you graduated. Took some ceramics classes and, you know, really kind of fell on with the process. And mostly it was just that getting back to that work ethic growing up on a farm. It was just, you know, physically. Mm-hmm. It was something that you were really kind of entrenched in, you know, mm-hmm. like when you were making pots. And I liked the process all the way through. My senior years, when Richard Breschenhan, who was a St. John's graduate, was in Japan apprenticing with a... 13th generation potter from Karatsu is the name of the, you know, the style of that pottery that he was doing. He came back and uh, was setting up a wood-fired pottery kiln on campus. And that really kind of intrigued me. I was about to go on a study abroad program. An instructor of ours, Johanna Becker was her name, was writing a book about Karatsu pottery. She was constantly going back and forth to Japan but then knew of a French boy, he's Danish, but a potter from France that was working with them and then was in France at that point in time. And so she suggested that I look him up mm-hmm. and I did. So I was in France and ended my studies there, went to Le Bourne and then started working with this guy by the name of Sten Kep. Fascinating individual, made great pots, large wood burning kiln. First time I fired with wood with, was with him and I was immediately hooked. Not only with the process of firing with wood, but then also really falling in love with that little village because it is an older village. It basically was established shortly after the Hundred Year War. And so they have about a 400-year-old tradition of making salt-fired pots. They're great big. They're called salbars, but crocs essentially for salting meat, oil jars, that type of a thing. Beautiful clay. And it turned into a bit of a mecca in the 70s and 80s because mm-hmm. the... Tradition collapsed, but then in the 60s, there were all these potters that were sort of like, you know, looking for studio spaces, namely quite a few coming out of England, out of Harrow, which was a school there that taught craft. You mm-hmm. know. When I got there, there were probably about 50 potters. All of them had wood-fired kilns in this village of 250. And all the potters came from different parts of the world. And so it was just really cosmopolitan. What an exciting time
1: to be there.
2: Yeah, especially for me being like, you know, this farm kid from (laughs) central Minnesota. It was like it got dropped in Oz. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so it was just magical.
1: Right place, right time.
2: Right place, right time.
1: And how long were you there?
2: I was there initially for three months, and then I went back and then spent about a year and a half, so about two years altogether, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing. But when I went back there the following year, then I worked with a couple of potters, kind of like an apprentice, went to Corsica, worked as a production potter down there, and then back to LaBorn. and then I sort of floated around. It wasn't really making a whole lot of pots. What I was doing is firing kilns, mm-hmm. you know, just really sort of like understanding kilns. And one of the kilns I was really in love with was one that was at Erica Stuhl's pottery. And that was basically like a, a replica of a kiln that they had seen in England that Sven Baer had built. It was called a swankalung style of kiln. It's a teardrop shaped kiln inspired by the tradition from Northern Thailand. And, and, uh, shwunk, but just swankalunk. Swankalunk. Uh, I
1: love that name. Dave, I, I, should, I, I like to say swankalunk. I should build a schwampalunk.
2: <laughs> <will> say swankalunk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> could I do that with the zoning? You think? I can oh, make I a think you could definitely get a swankalunk. Yeah. <laughs> you were using wood for the schwampalunk, so you'd so get
2: the, the ash it, or well the. Well, it was it's a teardrop style kiln. Right. And so a large firebox, and then tapers down into the back end of the kiln, right. the flue. Yeah. And so it compresses, so you get a Venturi effect. So you get a really nice even firing all the way mm. through it. But just the absolute sh- It looked like a flame. Yeah. You know, like a, so I approached him. I went to England and did a, a bicycle trip through Devon and Somerset. and Gosh, visited that sounds with, awful. Oh, it was fun. I don't
1: know how you survived that. That sounds just bicycling through Europe.
0: You know, I'm just imagining Mark's <laughs> life.
1: That's terrible. <laughs> Maybe someday. How do, you, how do you live with yourself with I all know, you've had to horrible. go through? That's, yeah, why, I, that's why
2: I drink. That was <laughs> early on in his life. But anyways. No but
1: ties, no responsibilities. Oh, you can no. just see him like paddling
2: through like, Europe la, just like, la, la. with that no, smile I on your what face. I did, what I did was I actually rode a bicycle out of London. Try that sometime.
1: Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Was it crazy?
0: Yeah, it was
2: crazy.
1: You didn't yeah. get hit by a car, did you?
2: Have I like was on, I was on the M1. <laughs> were
1: you? Were there any other people there, or on were bikes, there, or were No,
2: no. In fact, I you know I got pulled over. It was just like a, I had a map. This, <laughs> is the, this is when you had like a map you're that like, oh, was I'm like. So I'm like Sorry, Sam. A, I'm and You're it your like a, it was a map that was about the size of <laughs> violent, you know, like a, an envelope, and uh, so it was like all the major routes, you yeah. know. And I just knew, okay. I need to get down to Richard Batterham's place, you and know.
1: this is, this is the road.
2: This is like, you know, and then from there, breaking off and, but anyway, just to get out of London was crazy. Yeah. You uh, visited with three potters, Richard Batterum, Johnny Leach, and finally Sven Baer, who, again, had that same style account. Yeah. He didn't take out apprentices. He suggested I look up a friend of his, because he worked with Michael Cardew, uh, while he's apprenticing there, Todd Piker. Mm-hmm in Connecticut, was there at the time. He said, I don't work with anybody. Yeah, I'm pretty much on my own. Sure. But if you want, look up Todd, because I know that there's somebody leaving there. And that mm-hmm. was Mark Hewitt. Got up to Connecticut, interviewed.
1: And like went said, there the
2: following up. yeah, went you, there that you're, October. You're on. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. One of the cool kids now.
1: Well, wow, I think you're probably a
2: cool no, kid I, that. I'm. yeah, no, no. It's Well, like, yeah, you
1: weren't but, cool when you got pulled over by King no,
2: Out was, of that, London. No, <laughs> believe me, there are lots there's lots of stuff that I you know probably am not that cool about. <laughs> we think you're cool, Mark.
0: The lineage of the apprenticeship thing though, is, mm. I don't know. I get caught up in that and I never got to experience any of that and I just
1: amazing. It's amazing. Mind blowing and
0: it's like well, Ancestry.com. com. Yeah. No,
2: it, it totally <laughs> it is. It totally is. No, because, yeah, you can sort of break it all down. In fact, uh, Jordan Taylor was uh, an apprentice of mine back around know, 2000. He was out in Pennsylvania, but one of the shows that he put together was an exhibition in Scranton. It's like, you know, their whole lineage breaking it down. I just really kind of find it fascinating because, again, coming from a fourth generation family who runs a farm,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know, just that whole lineage and how it sort of resonates it's almost kind of like a bell that sound travels or ripples out and whether it's leech and hamada and cardew and then from there boom that was the big bang <laughs> you know
0: well my former professor um, tim crane was a student of warren mckenzie mm-hmm. i feel like if warren was alive and saw my work he'd be like oh what's oh yeah right.
2: right 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 <laughs> yeah. Warren always had really strong opinions on where he was at and then how that was supposed to sort of fit into everything else. He used to do things called pot on the spot. Oh. And what they would do is some of his former students would get together. Jeff, uh, Linda Christensen, I think, yep. was a part of that. Certainly Randy Johnson they'd bring a pot and then put it down on the table and talk about it. And sort of became a critique. You know, well, definitely they were drinking at the time too. So I don't know how long that lasted. (laughs) (laughs) You know, especially when you have somebody that has strong opinions. (laughs) I
1: think, though, those strong opinions are so important because I do think that when we're working in our studio space, you sometimes get into a path where you're really excited, but you're seeing, at least for me, I'm seeing the aesthetic form and I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of digging this. I'm really want to want to play with this. But I may be missing out on some of the other ways that that piece will feel in your hands or mm. how you're going to interact with it. So it's really awesome to have other people who will be honest with you right. and help rein it in or, or push you a little bit further. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, after school, you're kind of like, in some ways, you feel like you should know it all. But you don't, you you can't. And so without having those checks and balances, it's hard to continue to push those boundaries of where your work will go.
2: No, I I agree, it's the same thing. Like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, getting into that, you know, whether I can sort of draw this metaphor with the pandemic, you you become encapsulated in your own head. Mm -hmm. And uh, as opposed to like going out in a crowd and you know having like, you know, face-to-face exchanges of ideas, like we're having here, it's not healthy you know and you can sort of see how it plays out in you know i don't know or, or politics or yeah. you know, however you, you look at it but yeah that whole thing of being engaged and being actually challenged
1: yeah and yeah. being okay with being challenged i right. think that's the big thing too that everybody's kind of got their sides and they're offended when somebody has a critique of where they're coming from and i think that's what we all need we all need to be a little bit push down of our comfort zone mm. and then re-evaluating if our opinion is justified to be so hard mm-hmm. and strong mm-hmm. and sometimes it is
0: well and with teaching sometimes you have to reflect on the you know the criticism that you've got yeah it takes a bit to take it in and then yep. on, you know how you can change your word to fit but it has to be
2: constructive criticism yeah. as yeah. well, you yeah. know, because sometimes, you know, it can be destructive, <laughs>
1: you know? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. No, I know. It's this walking that line always. Right. I think we all need to be open to hear and mm-hmm. listen. Mm-hmm. And whether we make changes or we don't, we have to own it.
2: Yeah. It's a bit of a challenge for me because, you know, I work by myself, yeah. you know, right now. And you sort of get into a comfort zone. hmm for me, it's hard to take any type of risks, you know, because I have a large kiln. You know, I fire twice a year. Yep, you know what works. You know, I got know the, it works. the
1: machine is down. And
2: then the other thing too is that you know the kiln has its own peace of mind as well as the individual you're stoking in. So yeah. depending on the atmospheric conditions, you know, as you fire with wood, just all of that going into it, you know, especially when you're that's your income, yeah. right, that's coming in. Yeah. Yeah, how much playtime do you want to throw into... uh, Yeah,
0: exploring different avenues.
2: Yeah, the financial aspect. How much are you willing to give?
0: Right. I feel like your former apprentice, though, like challenged you in a few ways and pushed you to try some different things. Well,
2: that's the great thing about having an apprentice. You you bring somebody else into it.
0: Mm -hmm. I've had a few people contact me and ask me if I need an assistant. And it's like, with what I do, there's no way I could have anyone assist me other Mm -hmm. than like... Yeah. Maybe painting you know, slips on work for me.
1: I mean, it's got to be a give and take. So what are they going to get out of it if they assist you? Ideally, so they can fly and have extra ideally skills. Ideally, what I would
0: love to have, just to have another human in the studio, is yeah. to be able to provide room and board. Well, maybe not board. But at least room <laughs> in studio space. Yeah, mm-hmm. For someone that's just out of undergrad, right. between grad school, if they're going to go.
1: Wanting a, you know. a space to work from. Just this
0: in-between space for mm-hmm. people to work and figure themselves out. And there would be, you know, I would have them do some kind of jobs, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't have them produce my work because I don't produce the amount of work that needs to be made to fill mm-hmm. a kiln that could fit you know, three school buses. You
2: know, <laughs> what you're doing is very specific. What I do is there's a shitload of work that needs to get done. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's wood... Play just general labor let's Crying hold on selves.
1: we gotta explain though because i know all of our listeners are mm-hmm. on their edge of their seats wondering like what is this kiln you speak of this wood kiln so after you did all this experience gathering mm-hmm. yes. you landed in cambridge
2: so when i came back a good friend of mine, Mark Connolly, he and I took ceramics one together. He had gotten married and had two children. Early 80s was a tough period of time financially, you know, uh, in a bit of a recession. He started a shop at that point in time, you know, with two children. And I think the second was a preemie. And so he had some, some serious oh. bills, that kind of a thing. He went down to Minnesota Clay to pick up some clay. And I went with him, because I was back home at that point in time bailing hay that summer at the farm. There was a bulletin board, and it had a little recipe card with handwritten. It was like row pottery potters needed.
1: Oh, you came down for a row.
2: And <gasps> so it was at fifteen dollars an hour, full benefits. Oh my god! That's and more it was than like I it was like okay, this went... is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> this can't be real. <laughs> so anyway, you know, Mark was paying for the clay, and I said, so dude, take a look at that. Uh. So we looked at it, and it's like, okay, that just doesn't seem right, that they're actually paying potters to make pots. Yeah. So got home, got the number, called Roe, yep, we're looking for potters. It's legit. And so ended up doing a road trip down to Roe Pottery. And And for
1: people who don't know... How far was it as a road trip? Was oh, it about like five, a, yeah, hours, for, six yeah, five hours? Yeah, five hours
2: from Central Minnesota down to Cambridge. Yeah, so Wisconsin. it's in the Midwest. Not, not so whole, it's in We that got up family. around four o'clock in the morning. Yep. got down there late, you know, morning, and then from there, you know, checked it out. You know, it was like it was jaw dropping because they had like eight potters online cranking. Throwing I mean, pots just cranking all day. Cranking out crocks, decorators, blue hearts, hard brick salt kilns on Main Street in Cambridge. The
1: blue and the gray.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then firing those kilns with just these plumes of hydrochloric acid, you going down Main Street. <laughs> that's
1: what happened to Cambridge. N- I N- thought it happening. was the road <laughs>
2: construction
1: no. that killed Cambridge.
2: Mark took the job. Uh-huh. Um, and Did then you not then? No, I went to Connecticut.
1: So you're like, buddy? Mm-hmm. 15 bucks mm-hmm.
0: an hour. Boom. I'm off. I'm I'm going
2: to live in a chicken coop for 60 bucks a month. <laughs> <laughs> 15
0: bucks an hour, then. my. Oh no. That's there, in, there is, totally there is, insane.
2: You know, everybody had like a new pickup truck, <laughs> you know? It's like we're living high in the hog, you <laughs> know?
0: If they increase this, the hourly wage? You know how much <laughs> I got paid? The we're hourly wage? I had to push <laughs>
1: in 96 when I was there. I had to be, like, hardcore where I was just like, I won't take anything less than $10 an hour. Like, I Mm. will not. And they were like, okay, yeah, we'll pay you $10 an hour, but your quota is going to be all in sugar dishes and coffee cups. And you have, there's 58 per quota, so you have to do 10 quotas a week. It was like... All the people who are like doing crocs are kind of, I felt like they're like rubbing it in. They're just like, yeah, I've got like 18 crocs and a quota. And they're just like, and, and I'm just quarter. like, God damn the fucking, <laughs> fucking sugar bullshit.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: We
1: can swear in this podcast,
0: by okay. the way. And at the I, time, like <laughs> every home at least that I've seen in Wisconsin at the time, because I was young, was yeah. all like super crafty. And- oh,
1: they loved row yeah. pottery. Yeah,
2: pottery. Well, row oh. pottery. It was the uh, period of a Midwest wives, Midwest living. Oh, yeah, you, know? you can
1: have your house on a crack. Did you know that?
2: Or oh, the, the house decorators,
1: you just mm. send them a picture. <laughs> my parents never got a house on a crack. <laughs> they were, i send them my seconds. My potter's mark was a turtle, because I'm like, I feel like I'm the slowest person in this room, (laughs) so give me a turtle. I'll look for
0: those pots. I do. Mm -hmm. I look
1: at, like, antique stores where I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is $2. I know somebody Mm -hmm. (laughs) took quite a bit of time to do this, but it's not me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Look for the turtle. All right.
2: Yeah, but it it was a crazy period as far as in Cambridge at that point in time. Bus loads of people coming into town, oh you know? My yeah.
1: So wait, so what year did you come back?
2: And so in 80, 88, I moved here. Yeah, a little this closer to home. Gonna... You know, I got family in Minnesota. Not too far, yeah. but yeah, far enough. But so, and and then you have this beautiful jewel called Madison. Because when I was in Connecticut, it was in New York City. I had a good friend lived uh, in Chelsea and you know so I'd go down and hang out with Stan and he opened that door for me and again coming from my background so it was like it was like yeah eyes wide
0: open yeah
2: getting back to Cambridge um yeah it was like you know that I'm trying to let's go back to the question again because <laughs> <laughs> i know this is going to get it's edited out it's whiskey up. man it is i a whiskey. did
1: i did another second pour. i don't like whiskey but i just did a second pour and mm-hmm, i'm enjoying right. it mm-hmm. so bravo cambridge uh limousine, dancing limousine rye
2: Limousine. Okay. oh mm-hmm. limousine no e oh. so limousine is an oak it's oh. a french oak that apparently, uh, oh, Napoleon, but,
1: oh, limousine. Limousine. but anyway,
2: so Napoleon planted all these oak trees. He wanted to build ships, right? Sure. And, uh, that didn't work out so well. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they had all these oak trees and they decided like, that, okay, we can make barrels. I out feel of them. barrels. Yeah, it's like, there you go.
1: Oh, I see. So that's the actual barrels that they're using from those well, original it's a, yeah, oak trees yeah, from France? Yes,
2: yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The limousine is the- That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm only quite sure if there are still old growth barrels, but they can use the barrels over and over again, but Yeah, and they're probably tastier yeah. the
1: more they use them.
2: So it got to Cambridge in 88, and then from there it was like, okay, you got all these blue and gray pots yes. that are being made in Cambridge. Yes. Is there a studio potter? No. But I was really lucky because when I came in there, uh, Dave Stemfley, great wood fire potter down in Seagrove, North oh. Carolina. And Nancy Gatovi is his partner. She runs Starworks. Great couple, great individuals, just as far as what they've accomplished. Dave and I were working side by side. There's this art teacher just outside of Cambridge that has chicken coop had, you know, possibility of sort of setting up a business there. So I approached the the guy Ken about whether or not, you know, I could set up a pottery and uh was up in business. Dave and I we talked about maybe the possibility of going into business together but yeah, it just didn't seem like a good idea at that point in time.
0: I mean the kiln you have now is relatively large. And, um, the first style of kiln that you built at your place was
2: That was an onagama, basically a teardrop shape with a tube off the back end of it. It was a bit of a hybrid kiln in that respect, but it yielded some great results. The thing chewed through wood so fast, though. It was a quick firing cycle. It was a 36-hour firing cycle to bring it up to temperature, but I'd burn, yeah, probably about, say, I don't know, a quart of wood.
0: Wow, 36 hours, that's 36. crazy.
2: So it had a really broad firebox with three different openings on it. You know, you had like the major charge, but then you'd constantly stoke off on either side and then side stoking as you went up the hill.
1: Hmm.
2: So it's a great kiln. Uh, in the respect, I fired that kiln four times a year.
1: So you were making work for your own sales yeah. at that point or were you doing wholesale or like how did you little, get it out, your way A little bit out? of
2: wholesale, you know, people come and buy for their shops, that kind of a thing. But mostly yeah. it was retail, some special order stuff. Yeah. Getting back to the whole aspect of timing, you know, we're talking about earlier the market, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. When I came into Cambridge at that point in time, everything was on this upward trajectory and people were coming to town to buy pods. I was fortunate. That I was one mile out of Cambridge, and they'd see my sign. You know, hung my shingle. Right. I remember that going yeah. on
1: Highway Twelve.
2: Yeah, and yeah. so you know, I got just all that traffic, and I really thanked the industry, I mean like Rowe and Rockdale, for bringing those people in there because, yeah. I guess I was opportuni- opportunistic. You know, in that, that regard, you know, like yo, okay, know, where am I to set, set up business? It seems to go where the market is because it's traditionally it's always been where the clay is located. That
1: totally makes sense. Where you're, where the clay is is where the potters are. Right, right.
2: Uh, yeah, because the market's always been there. You know, right. It's just a question of need. Right. This is kind of funny. My my brother Tom, who took over the farm, would mm-hmm. know, go back home and I'd you know help him do chores that kind of a thing. And I just remember clearly he said, "Well, you are as an entertainer." <laughs>
1: People love to watch people work. You haven't had that experience, have you? Ryan, I'm asking Ryan. I'm looking at so yeah,
0: People watch me work?
1: And so at Rowe, when you worked at Rowe, they would have bus loads stop at Rowe mm-hmm. and tourists would come through the whole factory. So you'd be standing there throwing pots while people watched you and then you'd hear them, oh, look at that, it's amazing. And they'd be so excited. And you're kind of like, this is my nine to five. Like, this is. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. I mean, the workshops I've taught, I often feel what, oh, yeah. I'm, what I'm doing is extremely boring.
1: I was at Rowe when I was probably maybe 23, 24. It gets you pretty comfortable and confident at what you're doing. It just shows you that we're so used to it that we don't see the magic that's happening. But it is pretty stinking amazing when you step back and watch other people. Cause mm-hmm. I can oh, be yeah. an ooh and aah at
0: other people's work. I've seen people like Richard Knacken work before and he's so meticulous and slow moving. I mean, his work is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. But to s- sit there for hours and watch him do stuff, it's pretty painful. So like, <laughs> and again, I got to hang out with him and he was wonderful and amazing person, but it's one of those things like whenever I demo, yeah. I try to speed through.
1: Oh, through 100%. That, probably
0: way too fast. Because I don't have the backstories of, you know, biking out of London. <laughs> you know, doing these things while I'm doing the work. Yeah. Right? Because
1: you'd be cool. like, oh, so you can, t-. do you do that? If you ever demo, do you like talk about, well, I'm in the- this reminds me of the time.
2: Yeah, I, like, you know, you do a workshop, that sort of thing. That's a little different watching somebody else doing their work yeah i do remember doing a trip down to uh where was it Marseille, and i can't recall the town but it was like this neighboring town it was an earthenware pottery village and picasso would actually sort of access their clay and do some stuff there i just remember going down there and there was this old dude he was probably about 70 years old you know God, you know, some 60, 70, my age, yeah. and he's smoking a gold cigarette, and he's cranking out these pictures, and it was effortless, and he's, like, talking. We're just sort of sitting there, and, you know, my fridge wasn't all that good at that point in time, and it was like, that point, we think that you sort of knew something, and then that moment was like, you don't know a damn thing. Mm. <laughs> you don't have okay. any understanding of puts, play whatsoever. Puts you
1: in your place. Yeah, no, really, yeah. it was
2: like you know yeah. that whole aspect. So, when people come to my shop, my old shop, and they can still do that. in My place as yes. well, but so don't like people coming in there and sort of watching me make pots. No, I don't.
1: <laughs> yeah, and your 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 showroom and your place is no longer on highway
2: 12, 12. no it's, a, it's, it's in my place yeah so it's all basically encapsulated in one building yes i'm one mile south of cambridge on highway d um so if you ever come to cambridge you know you just head south and yeah. one mile and you'll see my sign. i think you know it made this bit of a tangent but You know when you want to basically sort of like you know establish yourself you need to have something
0: rooted
1: Rooted. yeah rooted
2: right in the back belly and i think there's too many occasions where somebody gets into like a particular discipline and then they think they know it Mm -hmm. and then getting back to that thing that i talked about in southern france like i don't know i don't know anything
3: yeah
2: right and the whole thing with clay, too, this is where we're really finding treating with clay regardless of how, you know, you know everything, right? You think that you have everything sort of laid down and then the materials change. Yep. Yeah, the people change. The wood you're The atmosphere you're changes. Yep. The wood changes. Everything. It's
1: constantly all, problem solving. We are
2: all walking on very liquid ground. Yep. Right? Yep. And it's all fluid. Yep. That's a beautiful thing about play. Yep. For it's me a, anyway.
1: It's a beautiful thing, I think, I feel like about art because you are always problem-solving. Right. You know, with this time that we're all living through and reinventing what our normal is, mm. I think we have an advantage to say, okay, so this is a situation. So Mm -hmm. this is how I'm going to navigate myself in this.
2: And this is why I really have a hard time with like arts always being cut in programs. Mm. Within high schools or like, you know, school systems like, oh, the arts. Yep. It's problem solving.
1: It's hugely important for problem solving. It's
2: it's all about, for me anyway, the emotional connection that you have with whatever you're doing. Yep. Right? And don't denying that.
1: And it's the decision making. That's able the other to thing. take failure. Yep. Oh, it, and to and learn then, from those failures because well, those a great are just as valuable. Well, that's the great thing about that.
2: Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, nobody. Did, we don't all get like ribbons and crowns no, no. and yeah. And mm-hmm.
0: it's okay. Mm. It's but okay. Sometimes you get a really nice cup. For <laughs> <laughs> like, yourself and, and not so
1: Right.
2: And I keep licking the bottom of my cup. Ugh. <laughs> All right. Wait, so
1: so 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 you landed in Cambridge. You created a life in Cambridge, as well as a following for your work. Right. Mm-hmm. But so this is what I wanna do though, is I wanna go back around to talking about how you formed the Clay Collective. Cambridge when you first moved there it was like everybody wanted to go to so Cambridge and it was like very exciting. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, a little bit of a switch as to the accessibility of the area, and then that kind of changed it. And then, I mean, I remember an undergrad talking about like the Clay Olympics and all these different exciting things about celebrating clay and people from far and wide coming to be a part of it.
0: One of my first sales I did right out of grad school was the Cambridge Party oh, Festival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was amazing, like, when did that sale start and how did that begin?
2: So, the Pottery Festival. It's kind of a funny story. At that point in time, Cambridge was really kind of taken off as far as the clay thing. Uh, Peter Jackson was part of the chamber and brought up to the chamber that we should have a Pottery Festival. Peter's busy with all of his stuff, and so John Sustrich, was the president of the Cambridge State Bank at that point in time gave me a call and said, Hey, what do you think about pottery festival? Yeah, I like that idea. <laughs> I started doing a little research on it. There was a pottery festival in Ohio. The one there, like, you know, she's probably the Chamber of Commerce, that kind of thing. So yeah, we're bring like about twenty thousand people into town. Got back to John and then from there we started to organize it. And it's easy one, it's an all-clay festival. Mm-hmm. And so that first one was probably 91? And then from there, it sort of caught wind. And next thing you know, we have a pottery festival.
0: How many years did that go on?
2: Nearly 25, 24 yeah, went years. a long time. 24 years, yeah, 24 years.
0: Shelley, did you ever have a booth there, or no? I don't know.
1: No. I was always too poor to do it because <laughs> I was working as a potter. Because yeah, when you throw all day, when you're through as a production potter all day, Yeah, it is. You can't, I couldn't this, afford like, a wheel. You, write, I didn't afford write. a wheel till Matt and I hooked up. And that was like one of my birthday gifts
0: or Christmas gifts mm. is he helped the me get a wheel. First time I did the sale, it was raining. But I had no ropes for tie downs for the tent. I, there's multiple things that I didn't, right. yeah. that I didn't even think about.
1: Yeah, because like why would you? There's no class in school saying, if you want to be a, art a fair. selling fair. artist, <laughs> <laughs> these are considerations.
0: Yeah, I didn't take the art fair vendor course over at <laughs>
1: school. Oh, 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 because it wasn't offered?
0: No, it wasn't offered.
1: What year did you do the Cambridge Art Fair?
0: 2005. I did it a couple years back to back and I did pretty well and it was fun. It was definitely like an eye-opening experience. It was
1: very much a celebration of clay. It has taken different paths as time has gone on, but it was a celebration of all ye who work in clay and a beautiful place to go and explore new artists that maybe you didn't know prior to going or to visit those old folks that well, you knew that you didn't get to see very well, often. Well, that
0: was my first time where I, like, got to trade work with other artists. And that got me hooked. And yeah. since then, doing art fairs, every art That's fair i ever done best
1: In the community, I have to say, mm. when you do art fairs, and I haven't done art fairs in years. And I don't know, Mark, you don't do art fairs anymore, do you? I don't. Yeah. So yeah. the one thing about art fairs is you do get to know a community of other artists. And when you're working by yourself in your studio for weeks on end, it's nice to be able to be around other people mm-hmm. and see what they do. And and artists are so fun. That's the other thing. Like, I mean, have you met many artists where you're like, eh, no thanks? I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, not so much. Usually they're like, they're the parties at.
0: Mm-hmm. But art fairs can be a gut punch, you know?
1: Oh. That's a whole nother Trying story. Trying to sell
0: your work and it rains yes. a day or else right. it's a well, day.
2: That's the problem. It's like, you know, you, you get involved with this community and yeah. then you want to see your community. Yeah. And then you try to offset that connection with sales. Yep. You know, that's the whole thing with art fairs. Like, yeah. I really struggle with them. I really do. And uh, I'd rather really stay home. like, you know, cut and split wood. You know? <laughs> well, that's, that's really.
1: sometimes more productive, and you can well, be like, I know, yeah, no, come but, swing know, by. Th- this is
2: like, you know, exactly Stack wood, you know, whole water, mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how the Cambridge Pottery Tour has changed.
2: Well, let's start off with, like, the, the Pottery Festival. The, fe- the festival died, Initial. yeah, yes. so that went it- on for 24 years, and then from there, a friend of mine by the name of Bill Bell, Bill Bale and his wife, Wendy Bale, he's a woodworker and she is a graphic artist. Mm-hmm. They were in Jefferson. Bill at that point in time started his own business. Mm-hmm. He wanted to basically sort of like, you know, get people out to his business yeah. and thought about doing a tour. And so he used my mailing list to actually sort of start at the first tour which is abysmal. It was the first week of December, which they usually do Cambridge Country Christmas at that point in time. Right. He grabbed the reins and yep. was like, okay, well, I'm gonna make this thing work. He got other artists involved, and then we started the tour. You know, For the first five years, I think, it was black and whites, as far as the brochure, and then went to color the fifth year. It's a funny thing about five years with businesses, whatever it is. You establish yourself and then from there, it takes off. Yeah. And it took off. Yeah. He did it for probably about a good 15 years there, about 15, 16. They're in New York right now. Lori Struss took over after that. She did that for about five or six years with your Cambridge Arts Council.
1: And now you guys.
2: And now it's my circus.
0: Cambridge, it went from the pottery sale. And then the Clay Collective Tour. And then now, in the last five years,
2: you had the Firefest. So, how Fire Fest started was Lori Struss, who has this amazing amount of energy. And I don't know how she does that, but she started the Cambridge Arts Council. They do concerts during the summer in Cambridge. You know, and I've been good friends with her. And so, this is probably about, say, six or seven years ago. Pottery Festival is basically going down the tubes you yeah, know, well what's next? And I said, How about Firefest? It was inspired through another festival down North Carolina with my mm-hmm. friends who I mentioned earlier, uh, Dave and Nancy. And Nancy runs this uh, facility called Starworks, which is all geared toward clay and glass and iron. And they do a Firefest down there because it's all fire oriented and it's amazing festival and I suggest anybody to look it up. So Lori said, I'm in. And that's how it got started. Because the great thing about fire is that mm-hmm. it's this tangible thing that mm-hmm. you know, we all as children, what are your earliest experiences to, to that with. don't, <laughs> right. Don't play with fire. If you touch it, it's yeah. gonna hurt. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But then it has all these amazing possibilities of like creativity yeah right but it's all geared toward that really kind of instinctive thing of like you know whether it's sitting around a fire but warmth
3: yeah
2: it's just all about warmth Yeah, and so anyway we got that thing going we did four of them the first year was really it was crazy but you know that's mm-hmm. like as far as the weather that we had, as torrential rainfall, oh. that kind of a thing. But people stick around and do the sculpture that you know we r- reveal. Yep.
1: During and it, it's, and it's, it's like usually in G- in July. July,
2: Vol months out of the year, yep, right? The hot right. The exactly. Months of the year. But anyway, so you know people latched onto it, and mm-hmm. you know no surprising, and uh, then COVID hit, so we haven't done it now for the last two years. So, we're going to be giving another go this coming year. A lot of it is So, it's like in
1: the calendar.
2: It's in the calendar. Yeah, we're going to do it. And, and what's
1: the what, when is it happening?
2: I believe it's the third week in July. It's, yeah. So,
1: where can they go to find it?
2: It's going to be MidwestFireFest.com.
1: MidwestFireFest.com. Yeah. And then there's the tour. Is it happening?
2: The tour is going to be happening this spring.
1: This spring? So, yeah. like, when this spring?
2: Uh, that's going to be April 30th and May 1st.
1: There's lots of great reasons to go to Cambridge and see the art that's being made. But before we wrap this section up, I have a quick fire-off questions for you, Miss Mark. Off. So what is your favorite clay tool right now?
2: It's a piece of banding metal that you know I get my wood off of.
0: It and so I bend metal. it and I
2: use that for like trimming my pots.
0: Old rakes, like the bamboo rakes. I learned that those are great trimming tools. Oh my gosh. The bamboo on it.
1: Mm-hmm. It I've never it done beautiful. that.
2: But it, it's also like using the same thing over and over again where it starts to wear weather. And then from there it's like, it. it becomes your favorite. Yeah. yeah. You know, then it like, dies. It's I know. Like, it's like, like it's a pair of jeans, right? Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: 100%. All right. Okay, here's your next one. Okay, most productive time to work in the studio. What's your When ministry? I'm in the studio. Okay,
2: mm-hmm. what? When I'm in the studio. I'm a farm kid, so like you okay. know, as far as like you know, the time, you know, but morning, definitely. Okay. I'm a morning, morning dude. Yep.
1: Okay, favorite clay body.
2: It's kind of an interesting question. Do you I have know, a favorite? You know yeah, what? because they change all the time. They do. They do. So it's like the, what's in front of me right now? That's my favorite clay body.
1: Which is what? Do you have any clients?
2: Well, uh, right now I'm, I'm working through 700 pounds of B-Mix from Continental.
1: Okay. B-Mix Continental is yeah. where Mark is working right now. If you weren't working in clay, what would you be doing? Me? Yeah.
0: I would be making chairs. Probably chairs. Four-legged chairs that rocked. Mm-hmm.
1: Gosh. I really like to make chairs. Chairs? Okay. Ryan would be a chairmaker. What would you be, Mark?
2: Sir, right. how about... A, a podcaster. I'd do a uh, I'd be a podcaster.
0: But how would you live with all the income?
1: What's the oddest thing a buyer ever said to you?
2: I, I do recall a customer coming into my shop, I'm turning mugs and there's probably four or five boards of mugs. I have like you know, sixty mugs sitting on and I'm making mugs and she's sitting there watching me make the same thing after
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, she says, "So do you know what you're gonna do before you actually make a pot?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like it just the pot. The
3: and, clay knows where it wants I, to be. And I
2: said, "So do you know where you're gonna go before you get in go your there?
1: car?" <laughs> I don't You've need to, it? I'm, I'm doing I don't the want same damn take. thing.
2: Do I know what I'm? Yes, I do know.
1: Yes. My <laughs> yeah. hands. Okay, Mark. What do you think, man? Instagram or Facebook? Can I say characters. neither? <laughs> what are you listening to? Are you listening to audiobooks, podcasts or radio?
2: So for me it's the New York Times, it's the Daily. That's my go-to in the morning. And then from there during the day it can vary like you know as far as podcasts.
1: What's the best advice you got? Forgotten. What's the best advice as an artist or as a potter or as a business owner?
2: Pursue your passion. Mm-hmm. Pursue your passion okay, at all so this other is, costs. This is, if you really want to succeed at whatever you're doing, how deep that well is, you need to dig deep into a it. And yep. if it's not there, you know it's not there. There's so many risks that are involved being an artist, yep. which is really tough. Hopefully like keep- you have a support network, you know, family, friends, especially a spouse, yep. that will be there. Yeah. As an artist, nobody needs us. Getting back to my brother Tom saying that you're an entertainer, mm-hmm. really, you know, when it comes down to it, you need shelter. Yep. You need food. You need your basics. You need protection. Yeah. <laughs> and you need a cup. <laughs> oh, full <so> circle. <laughs>
1: I hope you enjoyed the interview. But before we go, let's let our listeners know where we can find our guest's work. You can find Mark's work at cambridgepottery.com or on Instagram. His handle is cambridgepotter. Ryan, where can people find your work?
0: On Instagram at Ryan Myers Ceramics, and there you can find the list of galleries that I currently am showing.
1: And my work is best seen on Instagram at Hands and Clay Madison. Until next time.
0: Keep working hard and keep your hands dirty.
1: And keep your minds altered within reason, safely. Hope you enjoyed the interview. But before we go, the listeners might want to know where to get and look at the artist. Neil! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this will be good for the bloopers episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Keep your hands dirty as well as your mind. Well, let's yeah. talk about that before we get to down the rabbit hole. Um, I'm sorry, I'm no. being controlling because no. I'm the only no. female in the room, so. And you have the headphones I not got the headphones <laughs> No, Because well, I'm phone. the boss right now. No. So what are they going to get out of it? If they assist you, can you, can they be, can you pay them a little bit of money? Or or maybe no no at all for a little <laughs> <laughs> bit of help? Yeah, I mean, and then I, Oh, you know what? (laughs) My necklace is maybe in the way. (laughs) I just cut you off.
0: No clue. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we need to drink uh, seltzer waters or something. I do have bubbly
1: water. I do have bubbly Uh, water if anybody needs to. But I uh, have soup. Can you sell the soup cooking? I probably need to stir it up Mm -hmm. at some point. What's it called when you're like a globe trotter? You're like a...
0: Well, the crazy thing is... A clay biked, trotter. He a biked c- back from France
1: to Cambridge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm. so we don't even have it right. to
1: pause because they'll frank it out. So you s- f- frank <laughs> it out. That's <laughs> a new like the, the new verb. It's the new verb. You know, the, the, mm.
0: the history of what you said was kind of backwards.
1: Was it backwards?
0: Well, in a way.
1: Well, then fix it. <laughs> fix it, co-host man. <laughs> Come on, step up to the plate. So,
0: I had a young customer ask me if I was into threesomes. Mm. I had no mm. clue, and I was shocked and mm. ran away. That's why clay is the way. Clay. It doesn't even like you don't <gasps> even have to think about it.
1: Brian, you, you just deal came with up. with
0: issues, and then you came up with it. our
1: catchphrase. I want this to feel like a party. Talking about clay.